Welcome to the sermon podcast of Damascus Road Church. For more information about Damascus Road Church, go to damascusroadonline.com. How many of you are familiar with the name Monty Roberts? Anybody? He may go by another name, the Horse Whisperer. Anybody ever heard of him? So Monty Roberts grew up, his dad was a horse trainer, and he grew up, and Monty says that his dad was somewhat abusive. Uh, he grew up watching his dad train horses by a couple of different tactics. He would either put a blanket over their head and scare them into submission, or he would beat them into submission. And Monty, uh, just through the way that he was raised and then watching the horses, started to think there has got to be another way. And so he started to pay attention to horses, wild horses out in nature. When um, a, young, a young stallion would try and come into the herd, the lead mare, they would go through this kind of rhythm and dance where the lead mare would stand and look straight at the stallion, ears down, looking it right in the eyes. And this, this is the posture of challenge. This is the posture of authority. This is the posture of don't you come any closer. And the stallion would bow. It would actually stop coming toward, and it would shrink in front of the mare. And when the, when the stallion had done that, the mare would turn broadside, which is a vulnerable position, and it would put its ears up. And this is, this is a posture of invitation, like, I'm making myself vulnerable, and you can come closer in. And the stallion would come up. And it's almost like they played red light, green light. Right? Then the mare would go back into challenge position, stare it down, ears down, and uh, uh, the young horse would bow again. And they would do this all the way up until they touched. And this, this was the moment when they touched, when the invitation and the challenge had gone back in rhythm, back and forth and back and forth, until finally they met up and the young horse was welcomed into the herd. We just, uh, we're, we're starting, or we're in the middle of a four-week series talking about who we are and a little bit, little bit of a change in our language here at Damascus Road. This is our third week out of four. And in the first week, we just said, at Damascus Road, we want the gospel to cover over everything. Everything about what we do, all of our response comes out of the gospel and who we are and what we do. The gospel has to be a part of all of it, at the center of all of it. And we said we don't need to get creative when it comes to the gospel. If you ask 10 people what their understanding of the gospel is, we sometimes feel this need to get real creative and to come up with answers that nobody else has thought of before. They, oh, that's really beautiful. And actually, the gospel is very simple. And we said in four words, the gospel, Jesus Christ is Lord. That Jesus, the real man from history, Christ, this Jewish appointed one, the rescuer, the hero that God would send, who would give his life as a ransom for many, is, meaning not was, but is, Outside of time, always present, was and is and is to come. Jesus Christ is Lord. Not Caesar, not our president, not a king, not any earthly power. Jesus Christ is Lord. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. And before him, 
before him we bow. That's our first response to the gospel. The gospel is Jesus Christ is Lord, and our response then is worship and discipleship and mission. And last week we talked about worship, to say to worship is to bow. That we understand that God loves us, we understand that God rescues us, we understand that God is crazy about us and delights in us, but our primary relationship with God isn't peer, right? We're not equal to God. We recognize him as awesome. We recognize him as beyond us. And when we worship, we call out his name and we praise him, saying, you and you only are worthy of worship. And when we worship, we bow. Our posture, sometimes physical posture in bowing or kneeling, but we lower ourselves to say, God, you are higher. We worship. Today we're going to talk about discipleship, and next week we're going to talk about mission. What work does God have for us to do? And worship, discipleship, and mission are not separate from the gospel. It's not like we hear the gospel, we receive the gospel, and then we go do stuff, right? If we're not worshiping, we're not living in the gospel. If we're not growing as disciples of Jesus, we're not living in the gospel. And if we're not on mission... We're not living in the gospel. Our response has to be about those things. Jesus Christ is Lord. We bow, and now we're invited and challenged into a relationship. So we're going to turn in in our Bibles to Matthew 16 and look at this invitation and challenge thing that Jesus actually shows us. The horse whisperer sees and notices in horses, and Jesus models what this is to be invited and to be challenged. In Matthew 16, this comes after his disciples have been walking with Jesus and they've seen him show up in power. They've seen him show up and do miracles over uh, nature, over sickness, and they're, they're watching him provide and they're astonished by him. Now Jesus takes them to a place called Caesarea Philippi. And couple of things that you should know about Caesarea Philippi as we jump in. Caesarea Philippi was, uh, was, a, uh, was a place where many different gods were worshipped. There were uh, nooks or grottos in a wall that they would put up statues to the god Pan, and they would worship him there, and they would worship other gods. There was actually a stream, like a natural stream coming up out of the water that they believed was an entrance to the underworld, and it was called the Gates of Hell. Okay? So in Caesarea Philippi, there's this spring called the Gates of Hell. is a real place, and they worship all other gods. Jesus takes his crew there for this conversation. And we get to read it starting in Matthew 16 in verse 13. It says this, Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? That's his one of the terms that he uses for himself. Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. There's People are recognizing that Jesus is special, that there's something about Jesus that looks like maybe he's... Maybe he's part of the promise of the Old Testament. Maybe he's a prophet. Maybe he's somebody special that God has. And Jesus said to them, but who... Do you say that I am? 
Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And here I want to stop. Before we go on, there's an important cadence that Jesus asks when he says, who do people say that I am and who do you say that I am? Our kids, when we dedicate them, are growing up in uh, the protection and the preparation of their parents. And it's good right now for them to live under their parents' faith, right? But that, that doesn't cover over them for life. At some point, at some point, who do they say I am doesn't cover me anymore. And I have to come to a place where I have an answer. Who is Jesus? They say this. Over here, they say that. They don't even believe he ever existed. But who do I say he is? That's for you. You need an answer to that question. You can disregard him. You cannot believe him. You can come to say he is who he says he is. That the gospel is true. That Jesus Christ is Lord. And then find yourself in a position of worship. And find yourself invited into a different kind of life. But that question has to be answered by you. Who do you say I am? And Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah. That's Simon, the son of Jonah. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock... I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. Some A whole lot of stuff is going on here. When Jesus asks them, who do they say I am? And they say, well, there's all these kind of answers going out. And they said, but you. Who do you say I am? And Peter, like he does so often, is the first one to kind of lunge out at it. So I'm going to go for it. I believe that you are who you say you are. You're the Christ. You're the son of God. And Jesus says, nailed it. You got it. You got it. And you didn't come up with this on yourself, by yourself. The Father gave you this answer. The Father is feeding you this answer. You are blessed because of it. And then Jesus does something remarkable. Simon, the name that he has gone by his whole life, Jesus said, I'm going to call you Peter. You know what Peter means? It actually means little rock. It's not derogatory. It's not like you're going to be puny. (laughs) Jesus says, your little rock. Now what's significant about that is Jesus has called himself the rock, like the big rock. And when he calls Peter the little rock, what Jesus is doing is he's offering Peter himself. He's giving Peter an identity in him. So when he says, I'm the rock, you're going to be like me. You're going to do like me. You're going to live like me. You're going to study from me, and you will become like me. Luke says, a student is not above his teacher, but anyone who is fully trained will be like his teacher. 
And this is what Jesus is passing on. He's passing on an invitation for Peter to come into his life, to come so close, to walk, to, that he'd be so close that he'd kick up, uh, walk in the dust that Jesus' sandals kicked up, that he would uh, be with him, live with him, eat with him, learn from him, model after him. And there's this great, great invitation that Jesus is giving. I invite you into my life. And not only do I invite you into my life, not only do I give you an identity that comes from the Father, but he says, I'm going to give you the keys. The keys to the kingdom is an authority thing. I'm going to give you an identity, and I'm going to give you authority. And what comes after authority is power. Now remember, Jesus said, this isn't stuff that you're cooking up. This isn't stuff that you are creating. My Father is giving this to you. My Father is giving you this answer. I'm giving you an identity. I'm granting you an authority that comes from the authority that I have. And you will be able to walk in a power that comes from the all-powerful one. This is an incredible, an incredible moment in the life of Peter. And then Jesus says, don't tell anyone. I think probably because people had all kinds of messed up ideas about what the Christ was. They thought he was going to come in this human power, uh, earthly power, and just annihilate earthly enemies. And Jesus says, I'm not like that. I'm coming with a different kind of power. So don't tell anyone because I don't want people running off confused right now. He says, this is your name. You are invited. You have an identity, and with that will come authority. And with that will come power. And then it goes on. In verse 21, it says, From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. So Peter's just been given an incredible invitation to, be, to do life close with Jesus, and he's taking full opportunity, maybe going a little too far. He starts to rebuke Jesus. And he says, and Peter, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen. But he, Jesus, turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And everything changes. So he's just come from a moment of incredible invitation where Jesus says, you nailed it. You got the right answer. Yes, I am who you say I am. I am the Christ. And a little bit later, when Jesus says, and by the way, the power that I'm bringing comes through death. The power that I'm bringing comes through suffering. And Peter says, no, 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 no. No, that's not the power that we're looking for. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. You're a hindrance to me. Now, he's not, like, banishing Peter at this moment. He's like, Jesus isn't saying, oh, I think I made a mistake in you. I thought I saw something that's not actually there, right? What Jesus is doing is just like the horse, Now he's turning into a challenge posture with Peter. He says, I've invited you in, but now, now you're starting to think with your own mind. Now you're starting to trust your own senses and your own thoughts, and you're getting it wrong. And now is when I challenge. You're invited in. 
You're given an identity that with it comes authority and power. But, but it's not just invitation. Challenge comes with it. And when Peter gets it wrong, Jesus presses in and he says, you need to think differently about this. This is, this is the life of Jesus. This high invitation met with high challenge that the people closest to him saw most clearly. Right after he says this in verse 24, Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Jesus says, you have an incredible invitation to do life with me. But it's not going to lead to a cozy life. It's not going to lead to a safe life. It's not going to lead to a comfortable life. This is going to lead to a life where you actually lose your life. And in doing so, you find it. You find what you could never have found on your own. This, this, I think, is the high invitation high challenge. So the other example, or there's all kinds of examples throughout the Bible. Another one is when uh, his disciples are on a boat and uh, it's in the middle of the night and Jesus comes out walking to them and they're terrified and they think he's a ghost and he says, whoa, it's me, don't be afraid. And Peter, again, is the one to jump out and he says, Lord, if it's you, then tell me to come to you. And Jesus says, come. What is that? That's invitation. Come. Do what only one person ever before in the history of mankind has done. Walk on water, Peter. Come. Invite. And Peter does, and he succeeds in walking on water. But then he looks down at the wind and the waves, and he starts to lose concentration. He starts to doubt all kinds of stuff, and he starts to sink. And he reaches up to Jesus, and he says, Save me! And Jesus pulls him up, and he says, oh, do you still not have faith? And this isn't, again, derogatory. You're trying to make him small. But what Jesus is doing there, I think, is he's challenging Peter to see more than he currently does. Peter, in the moment, isn't doubting Jesus, right? Because he's asking Jesus for help. He knows Jesus can pull him up. He's doubting what God can do in him. And Jesus says, I want you to see more. And he's challenging him. Invitation and challenge. Invitation and challenge. The invitation is, let's do life together. And the challenge is, how do we need to grow? Invitation and challenge creates a discipleship culture. Now, I think each one of us is naturally wired toward one or the other. Right? Each of us is generally, naturally, either wired toward relationship or toward getting stuff done, right? We either are uh, inviting people to just sit and share space, or we're saying, what can we do together? What can we accomplish together? Which way do you lean? When you think about yourself, are you more the go-getter, or are you more the let's just be? This is the be invitation. The challenge is the do. A discipleship culture says it's not one or the other. To follow Jesus is not only to be invited, it's also to be challenged. 
what happens in churches a lot is churches tend to gravitate toward invitation. We want to create a safe environment for people to be, for people to feel included, for people to belong, for people to have relationships that are safe and are comfortable. And that's a beautiful thing. But if all you have is high challenge and, or high invitation and low challenge, what does that culture start to feel like? Real cozy, real warm, real safe, probably some good food. It's convenient, right? But you don't go anywhere. You don't do anything. And that's not a full picture of what Jesus is inviting us into, right? When he says, I invite you to walk with me, to do life with me. That's not all he says. He also says, I want to open your eyes so that you get challenged, so that you grow. Now, if you flip to the other side and you have a culture that's all, let's get it done, let's get it done, let's get it done, let's get it done, high challenge but low invitation, what does that feel like? That starts to feel real stressful real quick, right? And if people spend too much time in a high challenge, low invitation culture, what happens to them over time? They lose their breath. They get discouraged. They, they kind of burn out. This is a real stressful kind of culture. We've got one high invitation, low challenge that ends up just being cozy and comfortable, and one high challenge, low invitation that just is stressed and discouraged. And if you get low, low, you're kind of dead. Low relationships and low action, you're just bored. Then, it's, then you should ask the question, why in the world am I doing this? What is this about? You need to test that hard. Um, and you need some life poured back in. At Damascus Road, I want us to build a culture of high invitation and high challenge. I want people to feel like they can belong just the way they are, but not stay that way. That they would become what God has in mind for them, where God is leading them. This culture of high invitation and high challenge or belonging and becoming, right? That we recognize that we're invited into Jesus, but now we follow Jesus. We worship before him, and he's done all the work so that we could, we could be in his presence. But now, now, he's got stuff for us to grow into. He's got stuff for us to do. He's got authority for us to live in. He's got power for us to live in and recognize and to breathe out and to give to others. That we would, that we would be people who would say, you're safe with me, but I'm going to challenge you a lot. Like, you don't have to be afraid of me. You're welcome. You will be embraced. You will not be belittled. You will not be shamed. You will not be condemned but you can't stay there. You've got to grow. I've got to grow, and you've got to grow. And we can't do one or the other. When you live in this uh, kind of beautiful place of high invitation and high challenge, that's when, that's when you get massive, massive growth in discipleship. In my life, I'll give you a picture of what this has looked like. I did student ministry for 15 years, and kind of right in the middle there, 
I had, uh, a, I had a, a pretty decent low where every year we would do an annual review and I would sit with Ken, who is my senior pastor, and he would kind of look, we would look back over the last year together and say, how, how have you done? What's been going on? What goals did you set? Did you make them? What are you looking forward to? What are some areas that you needed to grow? And I learned by asking questions that Ken had a number rating that was real simple. Uh, at the end of every review, I would say, okay, so what number did I get? A three was you did what was expected. A four was you went above and beyond, and that was, that was great. A two was you can't stay this way. You, you, didn't, you didn't succeed. This was not your best year. And a one was, we're, we might not even be having this conversation right now. Okay? Um, I got to the end of the review, and Ken had poked at me and said, here are some things going on. And I said, okay, thanks for all of that. What number did I get? He said, you got a two. It can't happen again. And I, I was scared. I mean, I was like, oh, no, I can't just stay cozy anymore. What Ken was doing to me was he was issuing a challenge. You have got to grow. You've got leadership skills that you're not using. You've got supervisory skills that you're floundering in and you need to grow up into. You need to grow like you've never grown before. And he said, and I'll be here with you. You ever have a question about, about clarity, about what you need to be doing, you come and knock on my door. You come and talk. We'll do this together. I want you to succeed. I want you to win. I want your next review to not be a two. And I spent more time with Ken that next 12 months than I had previously. I, was, I wasn't even knocking. I was just opening his door. He'd be studying, preparing a sermon. I was like, hey, you got five minutes. That turned into 30. And he just got real used to me coming in and interrupting him. And he was making good on his promise of invitation, making good on his promise to walk with me, to say you're invited in, you're safe. And yet the whole while I knew growth needed to happen. And he believed in me. And at the next year's review, went through it, and I was like, all right, thanks. I feel like I did good. Uh, I mean, I feel like I did great this year. I grew so much. And I said, please give me a number. Um, the, also the thing... The numbers were sort of tied to the amount of raise you got. <laughs> so, like, give me that little information. He's like, well, the bad news is uh, there, we're in a place where the church can't give any raises this year. The good news is you got a five. So if we were given raises, you'd be real happy right now. <laughs> well done, good and faithful servant. Carry on. So I was like, all right, I love it. Lots of growth. That happened, that happened not because Ken said, Shannon, you're safe. You'll always be safe. You just be who you are. You just stay the way you are. We'll be cozy together. We can have staff, you know, hug time, and we'll, we'll be happy. But he also didn't say, get your rear in gear, or else. And don't ask me, like, you better figure this out. Don't come asking questions. Don't waste my time. Failure. He, 
He invited me into relationship and he challenged me like I had never been challenged before. And growth came out of it. This is discipleship. If you are a part of DR and you don't feel like you belong, something's wrong. And we, I want to know that. And I want us to do a better job at including you. And I want you to take some risks in saying, how could I get included? How could I come into this body? I want you to know that you are loved. And I want to grow in our intelligence in loving people and in inviting people. But if you are a part of DR and you feel like you belong, but you're starting to feel real cozy and you don't, you don't remember the last big spiritual growth spurt you had, then I hope, I hope that you would move into a season of challenge. I hope that the invitation wouldn't go away, the belonging wouldn't go away, but you would find yourself also now adding challenge, which starts to feel stressful. When you haven't been challenged in a long time, it can start to feel like the invitation goes away even when it doesn't. Stress Stress is noticeable, but stress can also be good. And I hope you get stressed in a good way. I hope you want to grow. I hope you want to follow Jesus more intently, more closely, that you would invite challenge in your life, that you would invite people like that horse or like Jesus to stare you down and say, what's up? Let's walk together, but don't stay the same. And I want you to invite people into your life who could speak with that kind of force and that kind of challenge. Jesus invites us into relationship with him, with each other, just as we are. But he doesn't let us stay that way. He invites us to belong and he challenges us to become. We say Jesus Christ is Lord. And in response to that, we worship. And in response to that, we're invited in and we accept that invitation. And in response to that, we follow and we grow. We're disciples of Jesus. Next week, we'll talk about mission. I want you to think about what kind of soil you are. Jesus has this parable of the soils where he says, some of it's real hard and the seed doesn't even penetrate and the seed just kind of blows away. Some of it is... Um, the seed gets in and it starts to grow, but it's, it's really weak soil and nothing happens and it just kind of wilts. Some of the soil is, starts stuff to grow, but then there's all these uh, weeds around it and it gets drowned out and it loses its life. And some of it grows and grows and grows and grows. Are you in a position in your life to be invited by Jesus? And are you in a position in your life to be challenged by Jesus? I want you to give that some thought as we grow together in community, running toward Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. We thank you that you don't leave us on our own. We thank you that you don't leave us to our own thinking or our own power but that you come, you come with the message from the Father to tell us that we are loved, to tell us that we are invited, to tell us that we don't have to do anything 
to be accepted by you. You call us to belong with you. And I pray, even right now, if there are people in this room who have never felt the call from you to belong, that they would hear that. That they would recognize your voice. They would hear your invitation. They would know that it's not their own power, but all of yours that is beckoning them to come to you. And I pray that you would help them to answer that. Help them to receive that. To give up the way that they have been living as a master of their own life. To put down the slavery that they've been living in to sin. That they would bow before you. Recognize who you are and how much you love. And I pray that we would be a people who would not be satisfied to be stagnant, but who would live chasing after you, who would live with you in such a way that we would be, that we would take hold of the authority that you give us, that we would be filled with a power that only comes from you. We would see your work around us and that we would be powerfully a part of that. Now, Jesus, as we turn to communion, would you help us to remember you? Would you help us to remember who you are, what you did for us? And would you help us to remember also that you called us to pick up our own cross, that you called us to suffer for you, that you called us to sacrifice our own life for you, and in doing so to truly find our life? We thank you for giving your body. We thank you for the blood that was shed. May we never forget. Amen.